So Mike took the last uh, two weeks and uh, took a little break from uh, the whole story and was uh, talking to us about Palm Sunday and then Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, and we had a great time uh, kind of studying that together uh, and looking at the power of a life in Jesus Christ and what it means to be a Christ follower and to be renewed with a relationship with Christ. This morning, we're going to go back to the whole story, and we're coming close to finishing up the Old Testament, and uh, we're going to be in, the, in this little, one, once again, a small little book, uh, the book of Zephaniah. Uh, this morning, after church, as you leave here, I'm going to remind you twice, I'll remind you now, and then at the end again, grab your chairs when you go, because uh, we're not going to be back here next week, and so if you forget your chair, it will be at the office, you're just going to have to find it. Okay, it may be like a scavenger hunt, we're not sure, but um, so please, when you leave, just grab your chairs, take them with you, you'll want them down there uh, next week, and I want to just say thank you to all the people, it's been a lot of work in here as well, I mean, every week there's people who come early to turn on heat, although this morning we didn't really need it, but um, they turn on heat, they get things set up, they get stuff ready to go, and then there's people at the end uh, who do the same, they make sure everything's closed down and put away, and Thank you to that crew, and I know there's a huge crew that's going to be helping once again as we move today, and thank you. Uh, that's one of the things that Mike and I are so encouraged, and our elders really, about our church, is everybody just pitches in, and they do what they can do, and they help, and it's, it's so wonderful to work with a group of people who are excited to serve, and so thank you for that. So here we are at this little book of, uh, of Zephaniah. Have you ever... Um, chatted with someone and they were telling you kind of a story or they were telling you what they were going to do or they were telling you what they hoped they were going to do or maybe it was a family member and they were telling you the change that they were going to make in their life. They were, they were explaining to you uh, how something was going to be very different uh, than it had been in the past and you knew the MO of their life. You kinda, you've lived life with them or you've kind of seen what's gone on in their life or their family in the past. And they're telling you all of the events and they're telling you what they're gonna do different. And how do you know if what they're saying is actually true? How do you know? If something happens, right? The proof of what I say or what I do is in my action, right? It's not in all that I say. We, we talk a lot. And actually, we live now in a nation and a country who just never shuts up. Everybody talks all the time, even when they don't know what they're talking about. Everybody just talks. And they like to hear themselves talk. But the proof is in what the outcome is, right? In what I actually do and how I actually live out my life, the choices that I make. I can say all kinds of wonderful things about who I'm going to become, how I'm going to live my life, the outcome of my life, what I, what I want to do for other people, how I want to encourage other people, all that stuff. I can talk and talk and talk and talk. But if there's no action, that's all it is. It's just hot air. It's just words. And really, this little book is going to show us and talk to us about the difference between knowing what is right and then living out what is right and experiencing that and actually putting my heart behind what is right. 
Zephaniah's name actually means this. It means defended by God or Jehovah, defended by Jehovah. Zephaniah grew up um, under the reign of an evil king, actually two, uh, Manasseh and his son Ammon, and they were incredibly evil. And as a young man, he would have been under one or two of those. We're not sure for, for sure, but they were incredibly evil kings. They were this, to this extreme. Let me, let me paint a picture for you. So worshiping idols was common in Judah at this point. It was, it, was the, it, was the, it was the given part of the day that they lived in that people gave lip service to God. There were still priests. There were still, there was, there was still uh, worship in the temple. And they would say that God was their God and they were going to worship God. But at the exact same time, over here, they're worshiping multiple idols. And it wasn't just idols that were carved out of stone and wood and all that. Here's how far that had gone under these two kings. They were worshiping idols, but they were also sacrificing children to those idols. This is the nation of Judah that was doing it, child sacrifice. And under the reign of these two kings, not only were they worshiping idols and sacrificing their children, which, by the way, they had learned from the Canaanites, who were an evil people, but they also continued on and they began to kill people that they didn't like around them just for the fact that they didn't like them. And there was a lot of very unjust killing that was going on just for the sake of getting my own way. And so the nation of Judah had, was giving lip service on one side and saying, hey, in the temple we worship God and we love God. But on the other side, the very people who are saying that God, Jehovah, is God, is God was over here worshiping idols and doing things that God had just told them this is completely wrong. It is completely forbidden that you go down this road. Sound like anything you know today? It's amazing to me. This prophet could stand right here on this stage this morning and give this exact same message and speak with the same authority that he spoke then very easily, very easily. He was the great-great-grandson of King Hezekiah. So he has some authority, has some position within the nation of Judah. He starts as a prophet under the reign of King Josiah. And if you remember from the book of Kings, if you remember from some of what we talked about, Josiah was a godly king. He was a young king. And when he came in as king, he had great people around him. And he brought the nation of Judah back to repentance. And he brought them back to a place of, of getting rid of idol worship and getting rid of some of the hedonistic things that were going on. And he cleaned it up. And what's believed is that Zephaniah was actually the prophet that helped Josiah do that. He helped him come back and bring the nation of Judah back. He would have been a contemporary of Jeremiah and Nahum. This short book that we are looking at this morning has three main topics. I want to, we're not going to talk about them all, but I want to give them to you this morning. Here they are. Number one, God's sovereignty over all nations. 
God is ultimately in control. And sometimes we, we wonder and we second guess and we're like, God, really, are, are you in control? We write this last year. I, I think some of us, if we're honest, in the back of our mind, we're like, God, really, is, have, have you got this? Do you, do you know what you're doing? Have, have you got this all under control? Well, this little book talks about the fact that God ultimately is, he is in control. And nothing is happening that God is not aware of and he, he isn't controlling in some manner. Number two, the wicked will be punished. You can't look at God and say, yes, you are God, but I'm doing my own thing anyway, and not expect that the hand of God will show up and there are consequences for us disobeying the voice, the word, the heart of God. And so that's number two. They will be judged. Actually, Zephaniah chapter 1, verses 2 and 3 kind of go to those first two points that God is sovereign over all the nations and the wicked will be punished. Let me read this. I will completely sweep away everything from the face of the earth. This is the Lord's declaration. Remember, we're, the flood's already happened, folks, so this isn't talking about the flood. I will sweep away people and animals. I will sweep away the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea and the ruins along with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth. This is the Lord's declaration. God says, look, I am not going to put up with mankind being completely evil. I am not going to put up with even those who claim to know me living life their own way. And I will judge every nation according to what they do. That, and he ends this by saying, that is the Lord's declaration. God says this. Now, that is prophetic in a couple of, of ways. He's talking about what's going to happen to Judah and Israel. And, and it happens, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, we've talked about this through the whole story. They come in and actually take them into captivity. The nations around Judah and Israel who are not following God, they also get judged in that time period. But he's also referring to the end of time. And he's telling us this, that God ultimately will deal with all nations who refuse to bow to him. And that's still the promise of God today. So once again, I tell you, Zephaniah could stand before us this morning and say this exact little book, he could, he could give the same prophecy to us today. The third topic that is talked about within this book is this, God blesses those who trust in him and repent. God blesses those who trust in him and repent. Now this prophet, like all of the prophets, was not, he wasn't popular. It's not popular to stand in front of a group of people and say, you're sinners, is it? I know, it's not popular. It's not popular to look at a group of people and say, what you're doing is wrong. It's not popular in the day and age that we live to pick up the Bible and say, look, folks, this is the truth. What God says is the truth. And what we're making up in our own culture is a lie, and it's pulling us away from who God is. That's not popular. And it wasn't popular for this prophet, but yet he was courageous. And if you looked at the beginning in the, of the book and the end of the book, the reason he's courageous is because he knows that this is the word of God to the people. And he starts with, this is what the Lord says to you, and he ends with, these are the very words of God. 
And this morning, I can do exactly the same thing for us. I can look at you this morning and I can say this. This is what God says to you. These are the very words of God. And I can say that with authority. Why? Because God has proven that this is his word. God has proven that he's never been wrong. God has proven that he always keeps his word. He is always truthful to his character. And so I can stand this morning like Zephaniah and say, this is the word of God to us. Zephaniah could stand with this message and so this morning, I will give this same message to you and to me and remind us of what God is saying to the people of the world as a whole. God is offended. No, even stronger than that, it's not that he's offended. Our moral decay is an affront to the very character and the person of God. And we cannot escape the judgment of God if we as a nation and as a people continue in sin. And you say, hold it, I'm a Christ follower, that is true, and so am I, and I'm happy, but our following God has to be different than the way the world lives, and often it is not. Often we go along with the choices of the world because it's too hard to stand our ground. We look different. We feel out of place. So this morning... I want to talk to you about what it means to remain faithful to God as Christ follows. What does it mean to repent? What does it mean to bring ourselves before God and stand our ground as Christ followers? Zephaniah chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 is where we're going to start kind of looking at the, the text this morning. So if you have your Bible, you can look with me. If not, it'll be on the screen here it is. Gather yourselves together. Gather together. Undesirable nation. Before the decree takes effect and the day passes like chaff. I want to stop just for a minute because I want to place us in the, in the scenario here. Can you imagine the prophet standing up and yelling out with a group of people or writing that this is going to be read to a group of people. Gather together. Come together. Undesirable people. Wow, this is how we, popularity, we win in points, people are going to love us. You'd love it, right, if I stood up. Hey, undesirables, come here. Wouldn't you like that? What he's saying here is, look, folks who are far from God, listen, we've wandered away from God. And our position is that before a holy and a just God, we have no standing. We have no place before God. And what he's reminding them is he's saying, look, come to get, come, get together and realize who we are before God. Now, here's the thing that I need you to grasp here, folks, is this is me that he's talking about. I, too, was one of these people. I was undesirable before God, but the moment that I became a follower of Jesus Christ, the moment that I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and I realized that I needed a Savior, all of a sudden, I went from someone who could not be in the presence of God to someone who had immediate access to the person in the presence of God. And that was me. That was you. If you're a Christ follower, you also were in that category. 
But the moment that you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you now have the right to be in the very presence of God because God sees you through the person of Jesus Christ and the finished work of Christ on the, on the cross for you. And so like the prophet, I cry out, come, gather together, you undesirables, but undesirables who've been changed if you're a Christ follower. You don't have to live that way anymore. You're different. Yes, we know. You're different. We're all different. But because we're in Jesus Christ, we belong in the presence of God. Come together, you undesirables. Before the decree takes effect and the day passes like chaff, before the burning of the Lord's anger overtakes you, before the day of the Lord's anger overtakes you, stop there. He's saying this. He's saying, look, now is the time, people. Come now. Get before God now before it's too late. Now while there's still time. The New Testament cries this same thing out to us. In 1 Thessalonians, he says, For you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Get together now. Come now. Now's the time. Don't wait. Because we need to be before God now. Don't put it off. I've talked to all kinds of people over my lifetime that I've shared Christ with or I've talked to them about a life with Christ or living for Christ. And they say, yeah, I'm going to do that later. That's something that down the road, we'll, my fam will get, we'll, we'll do now. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not guaranteed the end of this day. Now is the time. 2 Corinthians says it this way, working together with him, we also appeal to you, don't receive the grace of God in vain, for he says, at an accepted time I, I listened to you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. See, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. Don't wait. Don't wait. Nations come together. People come together and get before God before it's too late. Before time runs out, folks, this is one time that time is not on our side. It's not in our favor to wait. The scary thing about this thought, remember that was an Old Testament, Zephaniah yelling out to the nations, come together, you nations, and get before God. In the New Testament, all of the New Testament writers say the same thing over and over. Now is the time. Don't wait. Don't put it off. Come to Jesus now. Come to God now. Repent. Humble yourself before God now. And the reason he does that is because the choice is yours and mine to make. And he says this, look, you have a choice before you, but only you can make the choice for you. No one else can do it. It's my choice to make, to humble myself before God. It's your choice to make. I can encourage you because I know the outcome. I can point you in the right direction, but I can't make you do it. The choice is yours. The choice is mine. But before it's too late, Zephaniah, he's screaming at the top of his lungs, before all that God promised happens, because it will, God's, God always keeps his word. It will happen. The time will run out. And he says, before that happens, come now. Come now. That was the warning in this passage. 
But he doesn't leave us with just a warning. And that's part of what I love about Zephaniah. He doesn't, so many of the prophets screamed, hey, judgment is coming. Look out, you're going to get wiped off the faith. Remember Jonah? That's what he wanted to happen in Nineveh. He's like, don't repent. I want you to get wiped. He was mean, okay? But so many of the prophets, that's what, you're going to get wiped out. This is what's going to happen. But Zephaniah goes farther with that than that. He gives the warning, but in these same verses, he shows us the way to change what's going on in our life. And I love this. Did you notice them in the verses? I didn't finish reading it on purpose. Maybe you read them on the screen. I hope you did. Here it is. Verse 3, it says this. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the earth, who carry out what he commands. Did you catch it? Did you catch it? What did he say? What did he say? Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord first. Matthew says it this way, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of this, the truths of God, will be added to you. He says this, look, start here. Start here. If you want to change what's going on, if you want to really make that change that you're talking about, seek the Lord first. So often we end there. We try everything else. In our desperation, we go, we do all kinds of different things, and it doesn't work, and it doesn't work, and it doesn't work, and finally, oh, go to God. Maybe he'll help. Zephaniah say, no, no, go there first. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. And notice how he says it. He says, he refers to it, all you humble of the earth. Let me tell you something about that little phrase right there. What he's saying is this, and he's, he's making a statement about what we all know. It's only those who realize their need that will seek the Lord. And that takes humility. See, so often we think we've got it all together. I figured it out. I can do this on my own. I have this all together. I know how to make this work. And in our pride, we refuse to kneel before God and say, God, like we sang, I need you. God, I need you. That's a humble heart. And he says, look, if it's only the people who have a humble heart that will seek the Lord. Nobody else is going to do it. They're not going to. It's the humble. It's the humble. Who carry out his commands, those are the people who don't just know the Sunday school answers. You know what I mean by that? When the Sunday school teacher asked a question and you said, Jesus. It's always Jesus. That's the answer. It's Jesus, right? It's not the Sunday school answer. It's those who have learned the person of Jesus Christ. They've learned the character of God and they've begun to place that into their heart and their life. Those are the humble people who are seeking God. Those are the people who are looking at God and saying, God, I've blown it. I can't do this. But you can. And because of who you are, I know my need. <laughs> and I humbly bow before you and I accept what it is that you've told me. And I'm going to live that out. Remember the knowing and doing gap here. Mike talked about this a number of years ago. But remember, this is where this comes. See, I can know that I need God. I can seek after God. I can, I can look for God. 
But remember what I talked about at the very beginning, the difference between saying the things that I want to do or I know I need to do, and then what? The action of actually doing them. That's what he's going to talk about here, guys. He's going to talk about it. Look, I can seek the Lord and know that I need God. But then there's action that has to take place in my life. Or it's not true. It's just words. It's just hot air. And so he's going to paint that picture. And I love this because he shows me how to do this. It's those words, those wonderful words from James chapter 1, verses 23 to 25, where he says, because if anyone is a hearer of the word, but not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and then he goes away and immediately forgets what kind of person he is. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and, preserve, and, and perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of, and who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. It's someone who sees the word of God, knows the law of God, knows the truth of God's word and doesn't walk away and forget but yet makes changes. Makes changes. See, I see this in the morning. I didn't used to look in the mirror very much. I'm not a mirror guy, okay? I'd get up, put a baseball cap on, then you didn't have to think about it. But what's happened to me is over the last years, if, if you look, you see that? That only happened when I had kids, by the way. I, I, I had a beautiful head of, no, um, but since this is happening, what, what's going on, and I don't want to get too personal, but what's going on is I have this swirl thing going on on the top right here because I'm losing my hair, which makes this side stick up, right? So even when you, in the morning, have a shower and you comb it and you put it all where it's supposed to go, by the time you walk out, it started on its little climb. <laughs> and so if you don't look in the mirror, so Pam's got a mirror. I think she did for, She didn't say this, but there's a mirror right as we go out the door, and I really think it's because I'm embarrassing her. But so... This little climb happens on this side. So what's probably going to happen, I'm going to shave it off because then I don't have to think, I won't have to look in the mirror again. But if I don't look in the mirror when I go out, that's sticking up, right? And not that I, it's, I, I think it's embarrassing to everyone else. It's not to me. I'm, I'm oblivious, all right? But that's what this verse is saying in James, right? It's saying, you look in the mirror and you see something's off, but you don't do anything about it. It's not good. It's not good. Your wife doesn't want to go on a date anymore. It's not a good thing. And the same thing happens with the Word of God. We hear the truth of the Word of God, and we see it's reflected in our life, but then we turn and we walk away, and we don't do anything about it. So we seek the Lord, but then he says it's not just seeking the Lord. We need to repent. We need to, we need to humble ourselves before God. And he gives two more phrases in this, and we'll finish up with these two phrases. He gives us two more phrases of how we work this out. He says this. He says that we seek righteousness. So we seek the Lord. We, we admit we need a Savior. We need someone to help us. And that person is Jesus Christ. And we need him. But then he goes on in these verses and he says, and then we seek righteousness. Well, Philippians 4, 8 says it this way. It says, finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just and pure and lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's any moral ex excellence, if there's anything in it that's praiseworthy, 
Dwell, live in these things. Seeking righteousness means this, that I know I need the Lord, I know I need Jesus Christ, but then I chase after everything that's good. And everything that's dirty, everything that pulls me away from God, I turn away from it and I put it away. And I live in what is pure and right and good and just and holy. And that's where I put my mind. That's what repentance is, by the way, folks. Repentance is seeing what's wrong and turning this way and walking in the complete opposite direction. It's admitting that there's wrong and saying, that's wrong. I admit that that wrong is in my life. And then I turn around and I go the opposite direction to do what is right. That's what he's talking about, seeking righteousness. And this is where Zephaniah is talking to us as Christ followers, folks, this morning. He's saying this, you can know Jesus Christ. You seek the Lord. You know you need him. But you also have to seek righteousness. And what's happened in the church and what's happened for a lot of Christ followers is this. The creep of the world has affected our hearts and our minds as well. And all of a sudden, we allow things in that shouldn't be there. And instead of what's right and pure and just and good and lovely, we're living on the edge of what's dirty and wrong and sinful. So seek the Lord. Seek righteousness. And then he finishes that phrase, if you look at those verses in chapter 2, and he says this, seek humility. Seek humility. Stay in a place, in an attitude, in a heart of humility. Be humble. How do I be humble? It's not low self-esteem. It's not, oh, poor me. Oh, I'm not all that good. That's not what humility is. Humility is coming before God and understanding my need of him and staying at that place of saying, look, God, without you, I can do nothing. I need you. I need you all the time. It actually, if we have true humility in our lives, we're stronger than we ever were before because the power of God gets to work through us. It's an amazing place to be. And he says this, seek the Lord, seek righteousness, seek humility, seek Christ-likeness. Colossians puts it this way for us in chapter three. Therefore, as God's chosen one, chosen one, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion and kindness and humility, gentleness and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord forgave you, so also are you to forgive. And let the peace of Christ to which you were also called in one body rule in your heart. Be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You want to live in humility? It's seek Jesus Christ. Live like Christ. Put Christ first. Forgive like Christ forgave. Become like Christ. That's what he's saying. That's what Zephaniah is saying to these people. Look, seek the Lord. Seek righteousness. And for us as Christ followers, seek humility. Live out humility by becoming just like Christ. 
And he finishes this in Zephaniah chapter 3 by saying this. This is what God says. He says, the Lord has spoken. Guess what? This morning, I can say the same thing. The Lord has spoken. He does it to us every day. Seek me. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. God, grant us the courage to seek you. Grant us the courage to walk out what we've learned and grant us the ability to live in humility like Christ. This is what, the, what you have said to us. Thank you. Amen. Here are some of the words reflecting what Tim just spoke.